for your testimony. That was truly encouraging. We really thank God for you, and I know that um, you sacrifice a lot in sharing Bob with the rest of us and his many ministry responsibilities that you in your support of him sacrifice a lot. And God knows God is just, and He will bless and reward you and your family accordingly. We we thank you for your example as well as an older woman setting the example of godliness and how you minister. You're pulling double duty, raising two uh, young children and also one another one on the way and helping Bob and also ministering to the younger women of our church. Your plate is definitely full. But we thank, thank God for you that you're faithful to all the responsibilities that God has given to you. And uh, thank you, Gary, for just praying for us. It's a big week here at Cornerstone. This past week, we sent two teams out, the largest team ever, the history of Cornerstone. Twelve men and women have gone out, uh, six to Czech Republic. Um, they went out Tuesday, and six went out last night to Ireland. Just uh, seeing them go on the airport, my wife and I were talking on the way home. We're somewhat jealous uh, We would to be young again, <laughs> to go on summer missions. Uh, what an opportunity, what a privilege, and I know that um, they'll do, they'll, they're serving hard, they're working hard for the Lord's work now, and again, we look forward to hearing from them in weeks to come. I uh, hope that you guys can come out and just welcome them home. There is nothing like coming home from a mission trip and seeing beloved saints in the Lord, and just to pray together and fellowship together like that, to encourage you guys if you are able to come out to the airport and welcome them home. Well, I believe this is part seven or part eight of what was supposed to be a one-part sermon on Titus 2 back in Mother's Day, maybe a month and a half, two months ago. We're continuing on, and I was going to finish tonight, today, but we're going to study a few more and go on to actually studying slaves in the weeks to come. But today we're going to look at Paul's commands to younger men. Paul's commands to younger men. And you know, guys... Um, you know, thinking about my sermon last week, maybe I sounded a bit harsh, uh, a bit strong, and I don't know how you guys interpret that. I think people that are a part of our body know, know my heart, know the elder's heart. But just in case, I want there to be no misunderstanding. I want this to be clear, that I respect the young men of Cornerstone. I mean, I really do. I have... Great admiration, great love, and great esteem for the young men of this body. If I sound harsh, if I sound strong, it is because I'm preaching to myself. I'm shepherding my own heart. The Word of God is penetrating my own heart as I teach. In no way do I have a low view of our men. I mean, really, God has graced us with some mature and God-honoring men in Christ. I truly thank God for the young men in our body. You would agree with me that the young men of our church have some outstanding characteristics of godliness. You know, I thought about our young men this week and just kind of listed off things that I admire in the young men of our church. The first thing has to be their humility. We don't have guys generally. I think almost all the guys, we don't have anyone in our church with a chip on their shoulder. Right? coming to church, trying to show off, you know, rattling off their resume, their accomplishments, their secular status. Right? I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we have men like that. I think we have men who are very humble, very um, 
very faithful to the things of the Lord. I mean, I look at our setup ministry. They've been doing this for years without any fanfare. You guys, they realize they come here at 8.30, 8.45, set up the whole equipment. Right? After worship's done, after second hour, everybody's out to lunch. You guys are biting your burgers and they're still here. You know what they're doing? They're picking up the bulletins. They're folding up the, the equipment. They're putting it into storage. Week in and week out, behind the scenes, faithful to what God has called them to do, and that really exemplifies, emblematic of the men of our body. And I thank God for you guys. I think we have men who are seriously seeking to grow in wisdom. Um, I see that by their faithfulness to Bible study. You know, young men, they will do what they want to do. Right? They're not going to listen to people. They're not going to listen to a pastor, listen to parents, unless they want to do it. And when I see young men voluntarily without any twisting of the arms, purely voluntarily come to Bible study, come to retreats. You know, a few more could come to prayer meetings, but <laughs> two out of three ain't bad. Um, I appreciate that. I thank God for that. That shows a genuine heart, a genuine desire to honor and grow in the Lord. And also, their humility and commitment to God is reflected in their response to the Word of God. I mean, I preach these sermons at other churches and people won't talk to me, literally. I go to retreats and I preach and I'm sitting alone during meals, right? Guys, man, they're not interested in the Word of God. I can tell they're not listening. They're like reading the bulletin for the 20th time. They're like passing around notes. They don't care. But the men in our church, by the grace of God, they listen to the Word of God. And when we preach hard, when we preach harshly, when we point fingers and call them out and rebuke them face to face, you know what they, you know what they say to me? You know what they say to Bob? They say, man, thanks for that. Man, I needed that. One guy came to me after church last, last week and said, James, man, I needed that kick in the butt. Right? Excuse me. I needed that kick in the rear. And that shows me here is a man seeking to grow in the Word and open to the Lord's correction. So please don't misunderstand that when I'm preaching harsh on younger men, it's because I respect them. And I know that it is because they want to be godly men. They want to grow. They want the Word of God to be proclaimed. And that is the reason for the strong messages concerning young men. Well, let's go to verse 6. And consider Paul's commands to younger men in the church. And particularly, he's speaking to Titus as well, to church leaders. Now, we, we must understand, as Paul says in verse 6, Likewise, urge the younger men that there are special and unique dangers inherent to younger men. There are inherent dangers, special challenges and training and teaching younger men. Now, how do I know this? I know this because I'm a man. And I was a young man once. A very young man once. You know, when we preached on younger women, I told you guys, married for, for six years, but women are still a mystery to me. I have a daughter. I still have a hard time understanding women. Well, not men. I have a clear understanding of men. Right? I know what's in the heart of a man. I know our strengths and weaknesses. I know our abilities and deficiencies. I know the spiritual advantages that we have as men. But at the same time, I know the spiritual disadvantages that are inherent in being a young man. 
there is many trappings, many dangers, many, many minds that clutter the road for a young man and they need to be warned against. Again, I want to refer again to J.C. Ryle's book, Thoughts for Young Men. He has five unique dangers that face young men. Somewhat lengthy, but I want to read it to you. If you all the copies were sold last week. We have them available on the book table. Please pick one up. I read it again this week and was so blessed, so encouraged, so rebuked by the words of Pastor Ryle. My love for him runs deeper than ever. He highlights five unique dangers that face young men. First and foremost, young men, is pride. This is what he writes. Every age has unique temptations. Pride is the oldest sin in the world. Indeed, it was before the world. Satan and his angels fell by pride. Adam was cast out of the garden because of pride. Pride sits in all our hearts by nature. We are born with pride. But pride never reigns anywhere so powerfully as in the heart of a young man. How common it is to see young men with big heads, high-minded and impatient of any counsel. How often young men, they are rude and uncourteous to all those around them, thinking that they are not valued and honored as they deserve. How often will they not stop to listen to a hint from an older person? (coughs) Younger men, they think they know everything. They are full of conceit and their own wisdom. They think elderly people, especially their parents, are stupid and dull and slow. They want no teaching or instruction themselves. They understand all things. It makes them angry to be spoken to. Like young horses, they cannot bear the least control. Two things are said to be very rare sights in the world. One is a young man that is humble and the other is an old man that is content. I fear that this is only too true. Rao continues, Young men, do not be proud of your own abilities, your own strength, your own knowledge, your own appearance, your own cleverness. Do not be proud of yourself. The older you grow, the more you see, the less reason you will find for being proud. Ignorance and inexperience are the pedestal of pride. Once the pedestal is removed, pride will soon come down. Young man, do not be confident in your own judgment. Stop being so sure that you are always right and others always wrong. Don't trust your own opinion when you find it contrary to that of older men and especially to that of your own parents. Age gives experience and therefore deserves respect. The first danger common to all young men is pride. Second danger is the love of pleasure. The love of pleasure. This is what Pastor Ralph says. All things that give a feeling of excitement for the time, all things that drown thought, keep the mind in a constant whirl, in amusement. What is amusement? Not thinking. All things that please the senses and delight the flesh, they owe their power 
the love of pleasure. Be on your guard. Do not be like those of whom Paul speaks, 2 Timothy 3, 4. They are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Remember, if you cling to earthly pleasures, these are things that murder souls. There is no sure way to get a seared conscience and a hard heart towards the things of God than to give away your passions to the pleasures of this world. That is why Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11, abstain from sinful desires. Why? Because they wage war against your soul. They destroy the soul's peace, break down its strength, lead it into captivity, and make it a slave. Consider again the words of Paul in Romans 13.14, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Remember again, If you cling to earthly desires, earthly pleasures, they will all be unsatisfying and empty and pointless. But this is the common danger inherent to all men. J.C. Rao says, On all the earthly pleasures, you should write poison. Because that is what they are. They are poison to your soul. Third danger of young men is thoughtlessness. Thoughtlessness. Young men, your soul is in grave danger. You know so little of the perils around you. You are careless on how you walk. You hate the trouble of serious, quiet thinking, and therefore you make wrong decisions. And bring upon yourselves sorrow upon sorrow. You bring upon sorrow upon your family, upon your parents, upon your relatives, upon your friends, because of your thoughtlessness. Satan whispers to you, don't think. The Bible shouts to you, consider your ways and be wise. Some will object. And say, youth is not the time of life when you ought to be grave and thoughtful. I answer, foolish talking, joking, excessive amusement will be to your peril. Solomon says, it is better to go to a house of mourning than the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. Ecclesiastes 7.2 Young men, learn to be thoughtful. Learn to consider what you are doing, where you are going. Make time for calm reflection. Third danger of young men. Fourth danger is contempt of Christianity. Contempt for Christianity. Ryle writes, this is also one of your special dangers. I always observe that none pay so little outward respect to Christianity than young men. None take so little part in our services. None use their Bible so little, sing so little, listen to preaching so little. None are so generally absent at prayer meetings, Bible studies, and all other weekly helps of the soul. Young men seem to think they do not need these things. 
It might be good for older women. It might be good for children, but not for them. They appear ashamed about caring about their soul. Contempt of holy things is the straight road to hell. Once a man begins to make a joke of any part of Christianity, then I am ever surprised to hear that he is a true believer. Never laugh at Christianity. Never make a joke of sacred things. Never mock those who are serious and earnest about their souls. The final danger to young men is the fear of men's opinions. Fear of man's opinions. Proverbs 29.25 says that the fear of man proves to be a snare. It is terrible to observe the power which this has over so many minds. Few men seem to have their own opinions. To think for themselves. Like dead fish, they go with the stream and tide. They think what others think. They think what is right, what others call wrong. They call wrong too. Their thought is, what will my friends think of me? That stops many religious devotions in the bud. The fear of being looked at, laughed at, ridiculed, prevents many a good habit from being taken up. There are Bibles that will be read this very day if the owners dared. They know they ought to read them, but they are afraid, what will people say? There are knees that will be bent in prayer this very night, but the fear of man forbids it. What would my wife, my brother, my friend, my companion say if they saw me praying? Oh, what a wretched slavery this is, and yet it is so common. In 1 Samuel 15.24, King Saul says that he broke the command of God. Why? Because he was afraid of the people. Herod was afraid of his guests. And he did what distressed him. He beheaded John the Baptist. Pontius Pilate feared offending the Jews. So he gave Christ over to, to be crucified. If this is not slavery, what is? Young men, I want you all to be free from this bondage. I want each of you to care nothing about man's opinion. Believe me, it is a great thing to be able to say no. Young men, be of good courage. Don't worry what the world says or things thinks you will not always be with the world. The world is transient. The world is temporal. But the soul abides forever. Such are the warnings I give you. Take them to heart. They are worth thinking about. I am greatly mistaken if they are not greatly needed. The Lord grant that they have not been given to you in vain. Five unique dangers Inherent to all men. Paul knows this well. And he gives us the biblical cure in Titus 2. Because young men face unique temptations, unique challenges, Paul says in verse 6, something unique in all of chapter 2. He says, Titus, urge the young men. Stop right there. 
He says, Titus, one of your key ministries must be focused on young men. Older men, Titus 2.2, older men are to be. Right? Titus is just to teach them. This is the characteristics of older men. Older women are to be. Younger women, have the older women tend to them. But younger men, church leaders are responsible to minister, teach, and train younger men. It is one of the key ministries of church leaders. A vital ministerial responsibility. As a church, we need to take this to heart. All the church leaders of Cornerstone, all the men, we need to be purposeful. We need to be proactive. We can't just teach and let, hopefully, our young men will grow up to be godly men. We can't do that. We need to understand this is our ministerial responsibility directed towards younger, younger men. Why? Because the younger men of our church, they're the next generation of leaders. They are future men. They are future pastors, future husbands, future leaders of the church, future leaders of the home, and future leaders of the world. Therefore, they need special attention by church leaders. We need to be proactive. All the flock shepherds, all the church male leaders, we need to be aggressive, purpose to raise godly men. There's a significance Fathers out there, if you, have a, if you have boys, understand this. That you need to be purposeful in making that boy into a man. Secondly, this ministry to young men must not just be proactive, it must be petitioning ministry. Petitioning. Practice of face-to-face urging. As I said, Paul calls Titus to urge the young man to be sensible. The Greek word is parakaleo. Para means to come alongside. Kaleo means to call. It's a familiar New Testament word. It means to come alongside someone and more than teach, more than guide, more than instruct. It has the idea of appeal, of petitioning, of almost begging. It it connotes that men need to have their heart, heart stirred. You're not just talking to them on the intellectual level. You're talking to their hearts. And you're pleading to them to obey the Word of God. Pleading men to obey. Romans 12.1, that same word, Therefore I urge you, I urge you, 1 Corinthians 1.10, that same word, I appeal to you to be united in mind. Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner of the Lord, Paul says, look at my chains, I appeal to you, I plead that you obey the word of God. It is the mindset of a coach, the mindset of a personal trainer, just, 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 Instructing them of information is not enough. You must plead to them, to their hearts, to obey the word of God. And from this point on, from verse 6, Paul highlights five qualities that younger men are to strive for in their lives. Marks of godly older men. Marks, qualities that men are to strive after. 
Now, the first one is a very familiar word. Some translations has it, self-control. Some translations has sensible. The Greek word again is sophroneo, the root word sophron. The idea is sound judgment, discreet, being prudent, being sober-minded, not given to extremes. Paul talked about this to older men. Talked about, Paul talked about this to younger women. Now to younger men, same thing. And if any group has the potential to, to be given to extremes, it is younger men. Paul calls them to control oneself. Govern one's desire. Commentator Kale describes it as, quote, the ability to avoid excesses, to stay within reasonable bounds, end quote. Another commentator, Bethune, calls it, quote, the healthful regulation of our desires, appetites, preventing their access, end quote. It is a sound judgment, sensible mind, that enables a young man to control himself. Regulating their thoughts, keeping their emotions under control. Jerry Bridges says this, This is essential if they are to be godly. They have to control their lives. Self-control is the essential character trait of the godly person that enables him to obey the words of the Lord. It is impossible to be a follower of Jesus without giving diligent attention in our lives to the grace of self-control. And he concludes by saying, Self-control is the exercise of inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enables us to think, do, and say the things that are pleasing to God. End quote. The first thing that Paul commands young men is to be sensible. Now, if you look at verse 6 and verse 7, in my translation, English Standard, in all respects, is tied to verse 7. Now, grammatically, I believe the correct translation is to tie it with verse 6. Paul is saying, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, sensible in all things. And then the new sentence starts. Show yourself to be a model of good works. So Paul is exhorting young men to have sober judgment in every area of their lives. How they view God, how they view others, and how they view themselves. Turn with me to Romans 12.3. That word sophroneo occurs again in Romans 12. and Paul uses it in verse 3. And he says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think of himself with what? Sober judgment. I think this is a temptation of many young men. They think of themselves. I think of myself too highly. We think of ourselves more holy than we are. Thinking we can expose ourselves to temptation and we won't give in to sin because we're mature. 
we're holy. We think of ourselves according to our strengths, and we're blind to our weaknesses. We judge everyone according to our strengths, and therefore we're in a special category, and we have a, we have a greater relationship with God. We're spiritually strong, we're physically strong, we can emotionally handle the trials of life. Paul warns Christians at at Rome, verse 3, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but to think of yourself with sober judgment, and that goes directly to young men. To think of yourself with humility. The second mark is found in verse 7. Back to Titus 2. Paul is commanding Titus here, to show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Show yourself in all respects. Show yourself to be a model of good works. The key word in verse 7 is model. New International Version, NAS has example. New King James has pattern. Paul is saying to Titus, look, for the sake of young men, exhort them verbally but confront them by your example, by the pattern of your life, so that they might copy who you are. The word example is a very interesting word. It's tupon in the Greek. It literally means blow. When you, when you strike something with a hammer, it makes an imprint. It's the word for a, a mold, a, a model, a pattern, some kind of impress, impression that you trace over. Paul is saying to Titus, you are to be that. You are to be the perfect living imprint of virtue, the model that others can follow, the life that others can trace their life after, a life that they can pattern themselves after. Now, I believe Paul says this. He doesn't say this to older men. He doesn't say this to older women or younger women. He says to younger men for a reason. I think this is crucial for young men. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I think for, young, for men, it's inherent, inherent in us. We, we, we look up to other men. We have heroes in our lives. I talk to my wife, if this is true for women, and I don't think it's really true for women. I mean, they love women of the Bible. They're inspired by them. They love one another in, in the church, godly women. But they don't have this need to look up to someone, to pattern their life after someone, to be challenged and inspired by an example. But Paul knows, I believe, and I believe it's true, men need that. Men need an example, a life to look at, to pattern themselves after that life. Having men who they can look up to as spiritual leaders. And Paul saying, those, those examples must be from within the church. They are not to look outside the church, but within the church. And so the church leaders must not just teach what is truth, but they must model the truth. The challenge of teaching in the church is not just getting the interpretation right. It is about living right. Men do not follow a list. Men do not just follow commands. Men follow examples. Men follow character. Men follow life. You know, if anyone lived up to this, it's Apostle Paul. 
He is telling Titus in what he himself practices. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. And we will see this in Paul's life. Acts chapter 20 verses 33 through 35. In verse 35, here is the teaching. We'll start with the teaching first. Verse 35. The biblical principle is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the doctrine. Paul didn't just teach that. He lived it out, he lived it out before the church at Ephesus. Verses 33-34. How did he live it out? By not coveting anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions by not being a burden to anyone. Verse 35, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. He worked hard, diligently providing for the needs of his own companions, needs of himself, and ministering the needs to others. That was, a Paul, that was Paul's philosophy of ministry. Teaching the word of God and living it out to be an example for the church. Same thing in 2 Thessalonians 3. Turn with me there. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-9. through 9. He is dealing with some brothers thinking that Christ's return is imminent. They're being lazy. They're not working. They don't have jobs. They're just being busybodies waiting for the Lord to return. In verse 6, Paul gives a teaching. Verse 7 and 8, he gives his own example. He points to his own life. In verse 9, he gives the reason. Verse 6, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching received from us. And then verse 7, You ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. Nor do we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we work night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any, any of you. There is the example. Why? Verse 9. We did this. Because, not because we do not have the right to such help, we do, but we, in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. Paul says, I could have come, and as a pastor, freeloaded off of everyone, eaten at your homes, and not pay for it, lived in, in someone's home without paying for it, but no, I worked, and I paid for every meal. I paid for lodging. Why? I wanted to exemplify the doctrine of diligence. With my own life. That is why Paul says in Titus 2. Paul commands Titus to be an example. That's Paul's philosophy. He understands the most powerful teaching model is living the life. It is example. Philippians 3.17. Paul says, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. It is absolutely crucial living the life for young men before young men. I'll go so far as to say it is the single greatest aspect of leadership. Young men don't care what you can say. Young men don't care what you know. They're concerned about integrity. Are you living it out? 
Are you practicing what you profess? People will cancel out what you say if you're not living it out. Go back to verse 7 in Titus 2. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, good deeds. You know, I like the NIV translation, doing what is good, doing what is coloss, which means doing what is noble, what is excellent, what is moral. What's the example that older men are to set, church leaders? They're to do what's right. That's how they live their lives. They don't make decisions on what is most advantageous for me. What's the easiest road? They don't take shortcuts. They're not motivated by selfish desires. For them, their decision is black and right. What is the right thing to do? What is the wrong thing to do? And there is no dichotomy of life, of secular and and religious For them, it is one life in every aspect, whether at home, at work, with their taxes, with their relationships, with their hobbies. Their their decision is based upon, is it right or is it wrong? And every decision, they do what is right. That is the pattern, that is the example that older men and church leaders are to set. Isn't Isn't that powerful? I mean, isn't that strong? If church leaders will set that kind of example, I believe young men will follow that example, will pattern themselves after such a life. Well, lack of time, we'll go through the 3, 4, and 5 together. Verses 7 and 8, Paul tells Titus, in your teaching, show integrity. Um, The literal rendering is lack of corruption, lack of compromise. In your teaching, show dignity and sound speech. Now that word teaching is found 15 times in the pastoral epistles. It's the Greek word didaskalia. And it's not a verb, the act of teaching. In your teaching, you know, be serious. In your teaching, be dignified and have sound speech. He's talking about doctrine in the terms of the doctrine, the, the, the body of teaching that encompasses the true statements of the Bible and the life that is lived out. Paul is saying, Titus, as you live out your Christian life, as you teach the Word of God, as you live it out, young men are to follow these three traits. The first is lack of corruption. Free from corruption means an uncompromised life. Obedience to the Scriptures. That is what Paul is saying. Second is dignity. Semnotes, we found the same word earlier with older men. A sense of seriousness about life. Life is not a big joke. Life is not just about having fun and immersing oneself with the pleasures of this world. Life is serious because God is serious. The task at hand is serious. We don't live for entertainment. We don't live for trivia or frivolity. Older men, church leaders, are to set the pace of being serious and young men are to follow. And the final one is sound here. The Greek word hugias, which means healthy or wholesome. Meaning his speech is life-giving. His speech is edifying. 
It is healthy. It is building up. It is nourishing speech whenever he speaks. Down to verse 8. And here is the purpose of Paul's commands to Titus and younger men, so that our opponents may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us, and so that we might adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. If young men exemplify these traits, God will use that to impact the lost for Christ. That they will see that this man has indeed been saved, that God is his Savior, and has saved him from sin. Just a few closing thoughts for our older men and younger men. Because Paul is addressing both in verses 6 and six through 8. Older men, let me ask you. Are you modeling right life? You are already an example. Younger men are looking to you. Young men need examples to follow. They pattern their lives after older men. The question is, are you a right pattern or a wrong pattern? Are you modeling truth or are you modeling error? Is your example of doing what is right in all situations? Or is your example one of compromise? Where you're a situational Christian. Situational Christian. Secondly, older men, church leaders, as you minister to younger men, are you lording over them? Are you an authoritarian leader? Do you just command young men left and right, telling them what to do? Just rattling off commands, forcing them, manipulating them, making them obey? Or are you parakaleoing them? Are you coming alongside and urging, pleading, humbly exhorting their hearts, shepherding their hearts, begging them to obey the word of God? Final exhortation to older men. Are we investing in younger men? I think every man here has a younger man. Are you investing your life in teaching discipling and training younger men? Are you opening up your life, your strengths and your weaknesses? Are you being transparent and just opening your life to them so that you might instruct them in the way of wisdom? Finally, to younger men, guys, are you sober-minded? Do you have a right view of yourself? I think for so many younger men, so many things have clouded their view of themselves. I mean, things like education. You know, GPA is nothing. You know, your SAT scores, the school you went to, says nothing about your character. Uh, you know, there was a study done by a Harvard grad student and how Harvard students were so unethical and corrupt that cheating was rampant in that college and it was a gas. Here's the upper, upper echelons of academia if their character didn't reflect that. Younger men don't realize that. Don't realize that the job they have is of no significance in terms of their character. Are you sober-minded of your view of yourself? I think sometimes younger men are clouded by their experiences in ministry. 
I personally think it's not a good thing for collegians to go to short-term missions. Personally, I think that. Because they go and they experience two weeks of missions, and they come back, and all of a sudden, they're a spiritual giant. All of a sudden, they're mature, they're godly, they call these missionaries by first names, and just they know the Word of God. And they have a clouded view of themselves. I think being part of a, a big church, a biblical church, clouds our own view of ourselves. Because I go to Cornerstone Bible Church. Because I have MacArthur Study Bible. Because I listen to these tapes. I am a godly man. These things cloud our view of ourselves, not realizing we should think of ourselves with sober judgment, not think of ourselves more hardly than we ought. Young men, do you have a sober view of yourself or is it puffed up by the wrong things? Are you making right decisions? Seeing decisions based upon what is right and wrong? Not based upon situations. Are you obeying doctrine without compromise? Is there integrity in your life? Is there gravity, dignity, seriousness in the way that live your, way you live your life? And is there sound speech? You know, young man, I love you guys. I really do. And I don't evaluate you based upon who you are. I evaluate you based upon who you want to be. If I were to ask you, who do you look up to? Who are your heroes? Who is the pattern, the life that you're emulating? That says everything about what is in your heart. Are you emulating the models of this world? Of of pleasure? Of excess? Of financial uh, and material possessions? Or are you emulating men? Who seek after God? Are your spiritual heroes, heroes of the script of the Bible? Are your heroes men and church leaders, leaders of this church? That shows what is in your heart. You are the future leaders. You are the future husbands. You are the future fathers. You are the future pastors of God's church. May God grant grace to our young men that they might please God for their whole lives. Let's pray.